Bibles, if you will, and turn to Genesis chapter 39. You do have your Bibles this morning, right? Very good. Very good. Well, I'm a pastor down there in Richmond, Virginia, or right next to Richmond. It's actually not in Richmond. It's just outside of it. But, and you don't know my testimony. I'm not going to give you my testimony this morning. Uh, but one of the greatest privileges of my life was to be able to grow up in a Christian school and uh, to grow up in a Christian home. And, you know, one of the things, I got saved when I was five years old. And I uh, heard uh, the testimony last night. What a tremendous thing that is, you know. And, and I hear people come in and give a testimony of how they lived their life in sin. And God saved them out of all these things. And they have such, such an exciting testimony of all the stories of the way they lived their life and what God saved them out of, you know. And I always used to think, man, it would be so wonderful to have a testimony like that. But then God, God really hit me between the eyes one day. And I said, you know what? God didn't have to save me out of all those things. He saved me from all those things. And isn't it a wonderful thing to not have to live your life in the world, not have to live your life and, and have so many things that are ruined because you lived your life your way. God saved me from those things. He didn't have to save me out of those things. And, and what a greater testimony there is than that, I don't know. Uh, God did a wonderful thing f for me by allowing me to grow up in a Christian school. Never take that for granted. Never take that for granted. I didn't have to spend one day in a public school. I don't know what it's like to be in a public school. I've, I've seen them. Uh, but honestly, it's the greatest privilege of my life to not have to know what it's like to be in a, in a school like that. And, and for your parents to be able to sacrifice and put you in a Christian school like this is a tremendous, tremendous privilege that I hope you never take that for granted. Well, this is a very familiar story here in Genesis chapter 39. But I've always, anybody ever been on an African safari? A pastor has, right? Okay, a couple of you have as well. I've always thought that would be a wonderful thing to be able to do. I've been, I've been overseas quite a few times, but I've never been to Africa something that I want to do at some point. But uh, the only thing that would make me a little nervous would be getting a little close to those lions, right? And, uh, you know, you see a lion in a cage at a zoo, that's one thing. When you're driving in a safari vehicle and there's lions around you that could just jump up there, then they're not tame, they're not your friend, right? Uh, I think that would make me a little bit nervous. Now, they say the only thing you have to do to get away from a lion is be faster than the guy next to you, Right? If you're faster than that guy, that's all that matters. You don't have to be faster than a lion. You just have to be faster than your friend. And, uh, but, but that would make me a little bit nervous. And I can promise you, if one of those lions decided to attack, I wouldn't be waiting around to see how strong the bite is or how, uh, you know, what happens after they jump on you. I, I'd be, I would run as fast as I could away from those lions. And I think anybody would do that very same thing. The point is, if you see something as dangerous as a lion coming towards you, you have no gun, you'd turn and run as fast as you could from something like that, wouldn't you? Because you understand the danger. You know how, you know, you know what a lion could do to you. And uh, honestly, a lot of times, all we have to do is hear the roar of that lion to know that I don't want to stay around long enough to find out what happens. I'm gone, right? And I'm gone as fast as I can. And sin is more dangerous than a lion. It can destroy your spiritual life, and yet so many people, especially young people, don't realize the danger in sin and what it can do to your life. I want to turn our attention here to Genesis chapter 39. It's the story of Joseph, and I told you it's a familiar story to us, but the devil obviously could not leave a young man like Joseph alone. We see the rest of the story of Joseph, and we know that God wanted to do some great things through Joseph and through his life. And the devil could not leave that alone. He knew the potential that Joseph had. He tried to ruin him through the schemes of, of his brothers, through the schemes of evil men, and that had not worked. And so now he uses the, the shameless schemes of a woman. And we find this in Genesis chapter 39 and verse number 5. 
And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer, talking about Potiphar, in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused. He said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. See, the Bible says he was a goodly person, well favored. That means he, was a, he probably was a good-looking guy. That's what well-favored means, right? I, I think that uh, you know, one of the reasons why, and obviously God blessed Joseph's life, but I think one of the reasons why Potiphar was willing to put in, him in charge of all of his houses because he was kind of a, maybe a poster boy. This is the kind of guy that I want representing my house. This is what I want people to think of when they think of Potiphar's house. right? And, and I think Joseph probably was a good-looking guy. And before long, he caught the eye of his master's wife. That's where we read there in verse number seven. It came to pass that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And here in Genesis 39, the Bible tells us that Joseph was tempted in a very powerful way. God has promised that he's always going to provide a way of escape when temptation comes. And that'll never, he'll never allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to handle that temptation. There is always a way of escape, even if that means simply running away. Joseph could see that temptation coming long before it actually got to him. You look at the way that Joseph handled himself in that passage. It was maybe in the way that woman looked at him. Maybe he could see that, that, that she had that look in her eyes. She would make it a point to be where he was, especially when he was alone. She would probably do little things for him, let him know that she liked him. Joseph could see that thing coming, and he started to plot ways to protect himself. He started to plot ways to make sure that he was not going to fall to that temptation. By now, this lioness had scented her prey, and she had Joseph in her sights. You have to remember where Joseph was in Egypt. You have a lot of accountability around you. You have parents. You have a pastor. You have teachers. You have, you have a youth pastor. You have, a, you have rules in the school and everything else. Joseph was in a place where nobody would have ever known what he did. No, nobody would have held him accountable I mean, you look at what was going on in Egypt. That's a picture of the world. I mean, this kind of stuff was going on everywhere. Nobody would have faulted Joseph for falling to that temptation. Nobody would have said, you know better than that. He had no parents there to tell him, don't do that. He had no teachers. He had no pastor there to say, hey, watch it. You better watch what you're doing. You better pay attention to this. Sin is coming and you better not. He had nobody there. He had nobody there to hold him accountable, and yet we see what Joseph did when the time came and she tempted him. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that the devil was using all of his tactics against Joseph. Think about how God used Joseph's life. If, God, if, if Satan could have gotten Joseph to fall to that temptation as a young man, look at all the things that Joseph would not have been able to do. 
all the people that turned to the Lord because of Joseph's testimony. And all of that would have been gone. The Bible doesn't tell us how long that buildup lasted, but one day the pretenses fell, and this woman caught Joseph when he was alone. She flung herself at him. She urged him and pleaded with him to accept her. We see that in verse number 8. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin, not against my master, he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph was motivated by two things. One was a sense of, of justice toward his master. This was his master's wife. But the other was much deeper. He was motivated out of a sense of love for his God. He could not sin against his God. And that's a motivation that most young people today simply don't add into the equation. I don't want to get caught. I don't want people to, to be ashamed of me or, you know, there's a lot of motivations for why we don't do the things that we don't do. But most of it doesn't hinge on the fact that Joseph just could not bring himself to sin against his God. He was motiva motivated by a spiritual impossibility for him to even contemplate an action like that. Sure, it would have been appropriate, in, inappropriate socially, but it was impossible spiritually. What this woman was suggesting was utterly repulsive to him. And this is just one example of a temptation that's going to come. There's a lot of temptations that you're going to be faced with. What is it that motivates you to stay away from those things? What a magnificent way to say no to temptation. The Bible says in verse number 12, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 9 says, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. What a great motivation to say no to temptation. I cannot do this thing. I cannot grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But what I find so inspiring and so, so interesting is what Joseph did to get away from the temptation. The Bible says he fled and got him out. He fled and got him out. You know, I, I, don't, I've, I haven't even looked at some other version to see how they say it, but I guarantee you they don't say it in the same way. There is no, there is no Bible like the King James Bible in the way that the, the way that the Bible words these things. And, you know, I, I do from time to time see some other translation of a verse, and it, and it doesn't even make, most of the time it doesn't even make any sense. But it, it's not as beautiful as the way the King James puts it. And he says he fled and he got him out. Joseph did the only thing that he could do. He ran. He ran. How much temptation can be overcome simply by just deliberately walking away from it? You're going to be faced with a lot of temptation. You are faced with a lot of temptation. It was not cowardice. It was courage and conviction at the highest level to just get out. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In fact, turn over there, if you will, because I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to have you turn to a few passages with me this morning. But the first part of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22 is very, very simple. You know, the Bible says that the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Make no mistake, the devil wants to get your parents to fall. The devil wants to get your teachers to fall. He wants to get your pastor to fall. But if the devil can get you to fall, can you imagine the impact that that would have for a long, long time? He gets you to fall, then very possibly you're not going to grow up living for him. 
You're going to marry somebody who's not living for the Lord. You're going to have kids that you don't raise in church and everything else. And imagine what the devil can do if he gets you at a, as a young person. So don't think for a minute that the devil, oh, he doesn't care about me. He's going after all those big guys in the ministry. He's going after my parents. He's going after... No, he wants you. He wants to destroy your life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, right there at the very beginning in verse 22, flee also youthful lusts. That's what I want to focus on this morning. The example that we're given of Joseph shows of uh, one of many, many temptations that we're going to fight. But what we need to do and what we need to learn to do is to simply run from those temptations. Flee. Get out. So I want to talk to you for a couple minutes this morning about some things that you ought to be running from. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a couple of these things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for an opportunity to be here this morning. I thank you for each of these young people. I pray that you'd help them to grow up and live their lives for you. I pray that not one of them, not one of them would turn away from you. Every single one of them would give their lives to live for you. God, I pray that you'd raise up another generation, the next generation of young people to want to live for you and want to serve you. God, I pray that you'd help them to be protected from the wiles of the devil and that they'd make plans to protect themselves. We thank you for what you do this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this. You need to run from impurity. The devil is going to lay all kinds of things out there to try to get you to be impure. And I'm talking mostly to the older crowd this morning. I know, I mean, this applies to everybody, but especially the, 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 the you know, you're coming into your teen years. If I had to pick a number one sin that the devil uses to derail young people from a life of service to God, I think impurity would have to be at the top of that list. You're at an age, many of you, where you start to find the opposite sex attractive. You know, girls don't have cooties anymore. Right? Boys are starting to get the little bumps on their arms, and you start to, the girls are starting to notice those little bumps, right? Not mosquito bites anymore. They're actually starting to turn into muscles a little bit. And you start to say, oh, he's so handsome, and he's so strong, and oh, she's so pretty. You know, I didn't realize that she doesn't have cooties. All the rest of the girls have cooties, but not that girl. She's, you know. And, and you're getting to the age where you're starting to notice those kind of things, and uh, it happens because that's a natural part of life. There's nothing wrong with that, but the devil's going to use that to his advantage. He's going to put you in positions where you have to make a choice in whether or not you are going to stay pure, whether or not you're going to live your life for God or whether you're going to live your life for yourself. That's why there's rules in place, right? It's not to prevent you from having the time of your life. It's to protect you from the things that the devil wants to do. Hey, if she's not your wife, keep your hands off of her, Right? Keep your hands off of another man's wife. It may be that God brings you two together, but he didn't yet, and you're not married yet. Keep your hands to yourself. Oh, but I love her so much. Real love is wanting the best for another person. Real love is wanting the best for another person. And the best thing for another person is for them to stay pure and for you to stay pure until you walk down the, and, and get married at the marriage altar. Protect your purity. Protect their purity. You ought to be thankful for the boundaries that your parents put in, in, in your life. You ought to be thankful for the boundaries that you have here at church and at school. We had a dog when I was growing up. I was probably five or six years old. It was a long time ago, but that dog, it was a little black mutt, and his name was Tacky. And uh, every morning, it was our job to take him outside and, and uh, let him out in the backyard before we went to school so he could, you know, eat and go to the bathroom and all of that stuff. And we had a little, uh, at that time, we lived in a little apartment, had a small fenced-in backyard. And one day, one of my brothers left that gate open. 
And we let him out in the backyard, and, and as soon as he saw that gate open, he took off, and he ran through that gate. We chased him for a little bit, but he was a lot faster than I was at five years old, and I don't know whatever happened to that dog. We looked and looked and looked for him, and we never found him. I don't know if he got eaten by a coyote or if he got hit by a car or what happened. And I'm, obviously, I'm not a dog. I can't get into his mind and know what he's thinking, but I can imagine that every morning when we let him outside, he looked at that gate to see if it was open. Oh, it's not open today. I guess I'll just stay in the yard. But one of these days when that gate's open, I'm going to be gone and I want to see what's on the other side of that fence. And he got his opportunity that morning. And he bolted out that gate. I don't know what happened to him, but you know what happened? Tacky left the security of that fence because he had to see what was on the other side. And what he didn't realize is that he was leaving the security of having a meal every time he wanted to have a meal. What he was leaving was the security of having, having kids that loved him and petted him and played with him and did all those other things. And I don't know where he ended up. I don't know what happened to him. But those boundaries were not there to keep him from having fun. Those boundaries were there to protect him and to put him in a place where he actually could enjoy life. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do to you. The devil is not your friend. And you look and you see, all oh, the grass is green around the other side. I can't wait to get away from all these rules. I can't wait to get away from all these, these, uh, this, this oppression. I'm telling you what, as soon as I turn 18 years old, I'm gone. I want to see what's on the other side of that fence. These rules are not going to apply to me anymore. Nobody can tell me what to do. You turn 18 and you bolt out that fence and you realize that on the other side is not everything that you thought it was. Those boundaries are not there to keep you from having fun. Those boundaries are there to protect you in your life. It's not wise to date when you're in high school. The temptation is too great and the benefits are too little to make it worth it. You don't need to copy the world and go to prom just because that's what they're all doing. Right? You shouldn't be going to dances and parties. You're, you're opening yourself up to temptation. And you, your parents have boundaries for you, but you've got to put boundaries up there for yourself. You're going to be in a place where they're not with you 24 hours a day. Now, when, you're, when, you're, when you're a young kid, you, you're, you're barely out of your parents' sight. You're always in sight of somebody who can see what you're doing in your life. But as you get older and you get more freedom and you're going to work a job... And you're going and doing different things. You're going to have that freedom. You've got to put boundaries in your own life to make sure that your life is exactly going to be what God wants it to be. The devil's looking for every opportunity he can to take advantage of your weakness. And he's going to use that to derail your spiritual life before you even have a chance to really get to serving God with your life. What I'm telling you this morning is that you need to run from impurity. Run from the temptations on the internet. Run from the movies that you're watching behind your parents' back. Run from the music that you're listening to at night when your parents don't know anything about it. Hey, those are the kind of things that the devil will use to put those impure thoughts in your mind. And they start to fester and they start to grow. And the next thing you know, you're running toward the things that the devil is trying to use to destroy you. I was a teenager once. I grew up in a very protected, very sheltered home. And all around me, I heard about many, much of it was later on after I got out of school about all the, of the things that these, some of these guys in my class were doing behind their parents' backs. I didn't know anything about it. I had, I had things in place in my own home and in, and in my own life where I said, I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to do those things. And I'm not trying to lift myself up. But what I'm saying is you have to have things in place to protect yourself. And if you don't, then you're going to fall to the temptations of the devil. There is a reason it's called a temptation. 
because you want to do it, because it feels good, because it's, it's something that is appealing to your flesh. But run from it. Flee. Get you out or it will destroy you. Turn over to Proverbs 27. You ought to run from impurity. But the second thing is you need to run from the friends who would try to pull you from the things of God. Oh, that's easy, Pastor Boots. I don't hang out with the people that I work with. All my friends go to church. And there's young people in church who don't have a desire to live for God. There's young people in church who are going to try to pull you away from those things and who are going to tempt you to do the things that they're falling prey to. Even in church, you need to discern the good from the bad and stay away from those that you know are not going in the right direction. Those friends that always want to talk about movies, those friends that always want to talk about the latest thing on the radio, the latest music on the radio, run. The ones who are always saying things that are slightly off color, run. Those friends that that, that are not pushing you toward being a more spiritual, sold-out Christian, run from those friends. You know who I'm talking about. And you have that person's name in your head right now. Run from that friend. But you say, well, that that person's my friend, and they have a lot of dirt on me. If I turn away from them, then they can say a lot of things about me that they know that nobody else knows about. Hey, run. This is the time to get right with God. This is the time to get serious about serving God. Let the chips fall where they may. If it's time to get right with God and you're serious about serving God with your life, then you can say, listen, I know you have all these things against me, and and you can go tell them, but I'm telling them myself. But we can't hang out together anymore. That's a difficult decision to make. That's a hard thing to do, especially if you are friends. You play together on sports teams, and you go on visitation together, and you hang out in your downtime. It's hard to turn away from a friend. But if he's not a good example, if she's not the right influence in your life, then you need to run from those things. One day a farmer grabbed a shotgun. He went out to his front yard and, and, and there was a bunch of pesky crows out there. And of course, you know, farmers hate the crows because they eat the seeds. And that farmer went out there and he just started blasting his shotgun all toward those, toward those crows. And he walked out there to pick up the dead ones off the ground. And little did he know that their pet parrot was in the pile of crows there underneath that tree. And they walked over there, and he picked it up, and his son said, Dad, what happened? He said, bad company. That's exactly what happened to that parrot. Yeah, he was a pet. Yeah, he shouldn't have been hanging out with those crows. And, you know, when those crows get shot, you're going to be shot with them. And the the thing is, I'm a chaplain for for a large police department, and uh, maybe you've heard of this, maybe you have not. But when somebody gets charged with murder, all right, somebody shoots somebody else, everybody that was involved gets charged with murder. Whether you were the driver, whether you were part of the one that planned, whether you knew that somebody was going to get shot and killed or not, if you're involved in it, you get charged with murder. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't have any intention of shooting that guy. I didn't know that that guy was going to shoot him. All, we were just going to rob him. I didn't know he was going to actually pull the trigger and shoot him. They get charged with murder the same way. Guilt by association. And when those friends that you're hanging out with that are not living for the Lord get in trouble and do things that are wrong, you're in there and you're guilty just alongside, uh, just alongside of them. Scripture warns us to avoid those harmful influences, but the exact opposite is true as well. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says this, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Regardless of your age, regardless of your spiritual strength, over time, unwise influences are going to affect your spiritual life in a negative way. 
Satan is determined to pull us into sin and wreck our lives. And a lot of times, he uses the wrong influences to accomplish that task. Run from those who are going to tell you that being right with God is impossible as a young person. Oh, this is time to sow my wild oats. Let's, let's go do this together. No, run from those people who are trying to pull you away from God. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. The third thing that you need to run from is you need to run from the path that everyone is taking just because it's easy. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13 talks about this, and we use this uh, uh, often as a verse that reminds us uh, uh, about the, 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 the doorway to heaven. Very few people on that pathway. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. The world is full of people, even Christians, who are too afraid to stand up for what's right. Just because you're young does not mean that God cannot use you in a great way. You're not looking forward to, well, one day God's going to use me. No, God can use you now. God wants to use you now. Run from the worldliness that's so pervasive amongst the young people in Christianity today. I understand that you don't want to be weird. Nobody wants to be weird. Nobody, you know, it's hard enough to navigate the teen years, especially because, you know, you get zits on your face and you feel self-conscious about it and, and uh, you smell your armpits and you wonder how many other people can smell them too, right? So I'm going to do everything that I can do not to be weird. I got to fit in with the crowd. I got to fit in with everybody else, right? The last thing you want is for people to look at you and say, that kid's weird, Right? So Christian young people often do everything they can to be part of the in crowd. Let me tell you that no one ever changed the world for Christ by fitting in. We could stay on this for a while. For the sake of time, I need to move on. Number four, turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. You need to run from the things the devil wants to use to get you to fall. We kind of already talked about this a little bit with that first point because impurity is one of those things that the devil definitely uses. But there's a lot of other things that the devil is going to try to use to get you to fall away from God. It sounds very vague. It's meant to be that way. There are thousand and one things that the devil's going to use as tools in his toolbox to try to get you to go away from God. I would be here all afternoon and probably even into the evening if we started listing everything that the devil's going to use to try to get you to fall away from God. But here's one thing. You, you all in this room this morning are good young people, right? Many of you have been in church most of your life, been in a Christian school most of your life. The chances are very high that you know exactly what's holding you back and what's dragging you down. And I could preach all day long about a specific sin or this sin or that sin or whatever else, but you know what it is in your life that the devil is using to keep you from being everything that you can be for God. And I don't have to speak specifically about your sin because you know what it is. What happens often is that you've suppressed it for so long that maybe you've stopped fighting it. Maybe you think, there's no way that I can get victory over that. There's no way that, that I can stop doing this thing or, or, or start doing that thing because it's been so long. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that's set before us. I think it's pretty interesting that the Bible talks about a weight and a sin. Right? Most of the time when we read this verse, we say, oh, you have this besetting sin. Get rid of that sin. But the Bible says there's, there's weights 
that hold us back. Things that maybe not would be, would, may not be completely wrong, may not be a sin, but it's holding you back from being everything that you can be for Christ. Good needs to give way to better, and better needs to give way to best in your life. Now is the time to get away from that. Get, get it right with God. Make plans to run from it. What is it that God's been convicting you about? I don't, I'm not here every week. I don't know what the pastor preaches every Sunday, but, but you do. And, and, the, and the Holy Spirit convicts you of things in your life that you know you need to get rid of. Now is the time to get it right. Today, get it right with God and make plans to run from that thing that the devil's using to keep you tripped up in your spiritual life. As we close, I want you to go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because I don't want to just preach, and get, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And, and nothing wrong with that. The Bible's filled with a lot of those things. But the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse number 22, and again, the shortened, the shortened, uh, the, the, the shortened version of that, or maybe I should say the shortened part of that verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse number 22, it says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee also, but follow. If we have dangers that we should run from, then there has to be a goal that we're running toward. I've always been a runner. When I go out and run, I don't just start running and decide, well, at some point I'm just going to stop. I have a goal in mind. If I'm running a race, I, the finish line is the goal. If I'm, if I'm just running, running, running for uh, practice or running for exercise, I, I'm, I'm, I've got a place where I'm going to end. I'm, I'm aiming towards something. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 because the first thing is we need to run to the path of holiness. Run to the path of holiness. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 14 says this, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. If your only goal is to just hang on and stay pure as long as you can, then you're probably going to fail. If your goal is just hang on as long as you can and get out of school without, you know, unscathed, then you're probably going to fail. You're probably going to fall. But if you're running toward holiness, then your chances of making it to the marriage altar pure goes up tenfold. Your chances of living for God goes up tenfold if you're not just trying to stay away from the things that I need to stay away from, but I'm running toward holiness. I'm running toward righteousness. I'm running toward being right with God as much as I know how. I'm not just trying to, listen, if your life is right with God and you're holy and you're righteous, then you don't have to worry about avoiding all of those things. You live righteous before God and those things will avoid themselves. Greek mythology. I don't, I've never studied Greek mythology, but I read a story about a, 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 a captain of a ship named Ulysses. And this is Greek mythology now, so... Uh, but there's a there's was a group of conniving mermaids. Now don't go down to the uh, the Baltimore Aquarium looking for mermaids because I said there was mermaids. This is Greek mythology, all right. But the story goes that that these mermaids sang just a beautiful, beautiful song. And so every time these ships would have to pass by the the area where these these they were called sirens, S I R E N S. The sirens played beautiful, beautiful music. And so many ships were destroyed on the rocks because they started steering their ship toward the sound and the song of those sirens. And as they got closer, it was a rocky coastline, and so many ships were just destroyed on those rocks. 
Well, Ulysses, as a captain, was determined that he was not going to fall prey to that. He was going to get past the song of those sirens. And so he instructed his men. He said, listen, as we get closer to that shoreline, what I want you to do is this. Everyone, as soon as I give the order, I want all my crewmates to put beeswax in their ears so they can't hear that song. They said, I, I, I want to hear the song, but I don't want to be tempted to turn that direction. So what I want you to do is tie me to the mast. And do not, under any circumstances, listen to a command that I make until we are past the place where the song of the sirens is playing. And so as they got closer to that shoreline, the faint, very, very faint sounds of that song started to play. And so he ordered all of his men, put beeswax in your ears and you set your mind on that course and you tie me to the mast. Under no circumstances do I want you to follow my orders. And so they did. They all put that beeswax in their ears and they took their captain and they tied him tightly to the mast. And they got into the place where that song was so beautiful. And, and Captain Ulysses shouted over and over and over, turn toward the sirens, turn toward the song of the sirens. And he was shouting and hollering at his men until he was red in the face. They, they couldn't hear him anyway, but they had been ordered not to follow any of his commands. And so they kept that course. And pretty soon they were past the place where they could hear the song of those sirens. And the men took the beeswax out of their ears and they went and they untied their captain from that mass. And he was just so exhausted that he dropped to the deck. And I think that story captures uh, uh, many Christian young people. Inwardly, they hate the stupid mast. They're tied to it. And those boundaries are there, keeping them from going and doing the things that they know they want to do. And all they can do is just enjoy that song from a distance. They're powerless to actually turn their ship toward that thing. But their Christian life is miserable. Because they're not, they're not going toward holiness. They, they want the world, but they know they just can't have it right now. And they're tied to a mast that's keeping them from doing what they want to do in their lives. They want to know how close they can get to the edge without going over the edge. They want to experience as much of the siren song without actually wrecking their ship on the rocks. But the story in Greek mythology doesn't end there. Greek legend has it that there was another noble captain by the name of Orpheus. And Orpheus knew that his crew had to pass by the same rocky shoreline... And his men were actually looking forward to that. They were looking forward to the time on their journey where they would go past the shoreline where those sirens were playing their beautiful song. And as they got closer and closer, the anticipation was starting to build on that ship. They knew they were getting close to the place where those song, the siren song was going to be playing. And as they got into the waters where that rocky coastline uh, started, they, they, they shouted, the sirens, the sirens, Captain Orpheus, it's time. And Orpheus, as a big man that he was, he boomed. He said, go get me the case. And they ran and they got the case and they brought it back there and they set it down. It was just beautiful, ornate case that they set down in front of Captain Orpheus. And he opened up that case. And he pulled out an instrument that he had made with his own hands. And they said, play, Captain Orpheus, Play. And he started to play a song that was so beautiful. He had written that song himself and he played all the way through the place where the sirens were singing. And the song that Captain Orpheus played for them was so beautiful that none of them even noticed the song that was being played by those sirens. And before they knew it, the last strains of that music 
faded away from that instrument, and they were well past that rocky coastline where they were even tempted by those sirens. And what a picture that is of a life of a Christian young person who is not just trying to stay away from the things that they should stay away from, but listening to a sweeter song, listening to something that's so much better than the music that the devil could ever play. Listen to me. You live your life for God. You follow after holiness. You follow after righteousness. And you see the life that God can give you. Even as a young person, when you're living your life for him, you're not going to be tempted by the things in the world. You're not just tied to the mass hoping you can make it to adulthood pure. You're not just tied to a bunch of rules and a bunch of regulations hoping that you can make it there unscathed. No, you live your life for God and you see what he wants to do through your life. And you realize what a wonderful life it is. It's such a sweeter life than you could ever have by going and following after the devil. We have to end, but you need to run to holiness. You need to run to the friends that are leading you closer to Jesus Christ. You need to run to the safety of many counselors. You need to run to those who are encouraging you to follow Christ with all your heart. You need to run down the path that's not easy, but it's right. You're quickly running toward adulthood. If you're 13 years old right now, and I know you think, oh, I'm young. Five years from now, you're going to be an adult. Ten years from now, you're probably going to be married with who knows what's going on in your life. You'll be out of college by that point. Ten years. It's not a long time. You're running toward adulthood. And you're going to be there before you know it. No lasting pleasure can be found in what the devil has to offer. You need to make sure you're running in the right direction. You may not remember this other than pictures, but I remember exactly where I was on September 11, 2011, when a couple airplanes carrying a bunch of people ran into the World Trade Centers. And what a, what a horrific thing it was. It was a tragic day in America. But as most people were running out of those buildings and running towards safety, standing all around wondering what to do, where to go. The police officers and the firefighters were running in there and telling people, run for your lives. Run for your lives. A lot of people thought it was an accident, especially after the first plane hit, and they were standing around there watching, and these police officers realized there was something a whole lot greater going on, a whole lot bigger going on, and so they were running in there telling them, run for your lives. Joseph did just exactly that same thing when he was faced with a strong temptation. He put on his running shoes. He fled. He got him out, the Bible says. Run from impurity. Run from the friends who are taking you away from God. Run from the path that everyone's taking just because it's easy. Run from the path where everyone is taking the low road when you should be taking the high road. And that becomes easy when you have a goal that you're running toward. Run toward holiness. Run toward the friends who are living for God and who are encouraging you to do the same. Run to a life that's going to lead you closer to Christ. Run to the safety of many counselors. Run to the path that's not easy but it's right. And God will bless your life the same way that he blessed Joseph's. Hey, Joseph didn't have anybody to hold him accountable. Joseph would have gotten away with it very easily. Joseph could have done whatever he wanted. But he said, how can I sin and do this great wickedness against my God? And God blessed Joseph because of it. I don't know how old Joseph was at that time, but he was a young man. And God used him in a great way. Not because he was saying, oh, I'm tied to the mass. I just, I can't do it. No, he had such a love for God. And he had such a love for holiness. 
That's the thing that he ran toward. And God blessed his life because of it. God wants to bless you too. God wants to do great things through you. God can do great things through you. Not someday in the future, but right now. But it all happens when you run from the things that God is displeased with and run toward the things that are going to lead you toward more holiness in your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. So thank you for an opportunity we have to be here this morning. Pray that you'd use the message in the hearts of these young people in the way that you want to. And we'll thank you for everything you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Altars open. Sister Casper Zach's playing on the piano. Tremendous message this morning. Nothing to be said to add to that. Some of you need to put your running shoes on.